in John chapter 10. We've been uh, in the midst of a series uh, called I Am, looking at the uh, I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And we looked last week at uh, Jesus saying, I am the door for the sheep. And uh, that teaching continues this morning as we look at uh, the related statement, I am the good shepherd. So John chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. And before we read, I invite you to bow as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on His Word. Let's pray together. Lord God, as your sheep, we come before you this morning. And we come, O oh Lord, hungry for your Word, for it is by your Word that we are fed. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would indeed feed us this morning the truths of your word, that we may live in them and be transformed by them. May we come this morning, O Lord, to a deeper understanding and a deeper faith in you as our good shepherd. So do this work in us, O Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the sacred, inspired word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand this morning for the reading of God's Word from John chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. So these are the words of Jesus. He's continuing to, to speak to the Pharisees. And this is after the healing of the blind man in chapter 9. That started this discussion about, about uh, sheep and caring for the sheep and the contrast between the shepherd and those who are, uh, only seek to, to destroy the sheep, which is the Pharisees. And so that uh, discussion or that teaching continues. And Jesus says in verse 11, I, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, and so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life, for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Let me pause there just for a moment because there's a whole section of the sermon that was, uh, it was going to be a whole section of the sermon that I uh, cut out for the sake of time. So let me just give you the 30 second version of that section. When Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, he's referring to Gentiles, saying that he came not only to the lost sheep of Israel, but he came to be the one who would draw in sheep from every tribe and language and people and nation. So um, he came to have one flock this, this, uh, that, that would be from all nations. And this is in fulfillment of uh, God's covenant to Abraham in Genesis 12. 
that through Abraham you be a blessing to the nations, to all nations on earth will be blessed through you. Isaiah 49, verse 6, uh, Isaiah 56, and Ezekiel 34. All of these uh, were sort of longings anticipating this one who would come, who would draw in, uh, be, who would be a light for the Gentiles and draw others in. And Jesus says, I have come uh, to be that one and to draw others into the flock. All right, verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, uh, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You may be seated. If you could pick an animal that you think best describes yourself, what animal would you choose? We've done that before as, a, as our family and, and had questions like that and Maybe you have as well. Maybe you see yourself as a strong leader and would identify most with the lion. Or maybe you see yourself as sort of cute and, and cuddly, you know, the kind of person that brings comfort and delights to those around you, and you would say that a kitten best describes you. Maybe you see yourself as steady and loyal, and so you would say that you are most like a German shepherd. Or maybe you see yourself as somewhat cunning and shrewd, the kind of person that's able to get ahead by outwitting others, and you would identify yourself as a fox. Well, I hate to, to burst your bubble, but according to Scripture, the one animal that best describes you and that best describes me is sheep. And it's really not the most flattering designation. Sheep are not known for their strength or for their beauty or for their intelligence or for their ingenuity. They are notoriously dull creatures that often get themselves into trouble. They, pro they are prone to wander off into caves. They fall into crevices. They stumble haphazardly over cliffs. They easily get lost and they have no idea how to find their way back again. They're vulnerable to danger and helpless against predators. They don't have sharp teeth or claws to protect themselves. They don't have unusual speed to, to escape lions and wolves and others that might attack. And often they just sort of huddle together, not knowing what to do, which only makes themselves a larger target for attack. Now, the thing that stands out really most about sheep is their dependence. They need someone to provide for them the things they cannot provide for themselves. That's who, according to Scripture, we are, at least in terms of animals, most like. And our sheepness, if you want to call it that, I think manifests itself in a, in a variety of different ways. And, and, and so there are, you know, a hundred different 
areas or ways in, in which we could identify with sheep. And to help you see that, I want to share with you this morning just what I would call three sheep stories. Stories of just three very different people from different walks of life, all of which capture just a different facet of what it means to be a sheep. So first, there is Selena. She's 15 years old. She's a student at a large public school in Illinois. She's an only child, and both of her parents are deeply entrenched in their own careers. And Selena is involved in a lot of different things at school. She's very active in the school's drama club. She's uh, the editor of the school newspaper, and she sings in the school choir. And things have been going pretty well for Selena, uh, but everything began to change last year, and she's not even really sure why. She's been struggling with deep questions about her own identity and purpose in life, and so she's questioning everything. She's questioning her faith. She's questioning the Bible. She's questioning God, and all these things have been sort of givens in her life, things she just sort of accepted without question before, but now she's plagued by doubts and questioning everything. And her parents are so busy that she feels like she can't really talk to them about it. And she doesn't really feel like any of her friends are going through the same struggles that she is. And so she just sort of floats through life trying to put on a good face. But deep inside, she is hurting and confused. And she feels like no one understands and no one truly knows her. In fact, she doesn't even think she knows herself. And then there's Herman who was married to Ethel for 62 years, and they owned a small business together in upstate New York. They raised five kids who all grew up and got married and, and, and blessed them with a grand total of 17 grandkids. When Herman was 65 and Ethel was 63, they retired. For, they sold their small business, and they enjoyed retirement together. They bought a little cottage in the woods, and they uh, enjoyed going for long hikes together on the many trails in the woods, and they would kayak on the nearby lake. They were actively involved in their local church, and they spent a lot of time FaceTiming with their kids and their grandkids, and then out of the blue, cancer came. And within six months, Ethel had passed. That was five years ago, and not a day has gone by since that Herman has not felt the deep pain of emptiness and loss. And he still walks the trails, and he's still actively involved in this church, but he goes through life with this, this deep ache of loneliness. And he tries to fill his days with activity and building relationships with other people. But when he comes home to his cottage in the woods, it just doesn't feel like home without his lifelong companion. And he is deeply lonely, a lonely old man in need of comfort and companionship. And finally, there's Dawn. She married Blake 10 years ago. It was the proverbial love at first sight. They met at a Christian college through a mutual friend, and they uh, went on a date. And from the very first date, there was this obvious spark between them, and they didn't waste a whole lot of time dating. They dated for a few months. They knew it was meant to be, so they got engaged. And after a few months of engagement, they were married. They had a beautiful wedding, had an amazing honeymoon, and a great first year of marriage. When they decided they wanted to try to start a family together, they ran into problems. And they tried and tried and tried to get pregnant, but month after month after month, the tests always came back negative. And so came the doctor's visits and the ongoing struggles with infertility and discussions about adoption. And somehow through it all, 
Instead of uh, drawing closer together through this journey, they drifted farther and farther apart. Blake became more and more distant and aloof, and one day Dawn's deepest fears and suspicions were confirmed. He had been cheating on her for almost a year. And they sought counseling. They had people pray for them. They tried to reconcile, but the relationship was too deeply broken. And now Dawn is 35 years old and divorced, and she still doesn't fully understand how it all came to this. She feels lost and broken. And above all, she feels deeply unloved and wonders if she will ever love or be loved again. These are three very different stories of three very different people. And there are a hundred other stories with very different needs and different situations, but their need is the same. What they need is the same thing that we all need. We need a shepherd. And that's what we find in these words of Jesus. We see in our text this morning three things about Jesus as the good shepherd. So let me walk you through them as we walk through this text together. So first, the good shepherd knows the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, before we go any farther, I should point out that that throughout this whole text, uh, beginning with last week, the whole discussion about the sheep and the sheep pen and all of that, uh, throughout this whole text, the uh, the sheep in these verses are the true followers of Christ, right? So these, these are those who have been chosen by the Father from before the foundation of the world, those who have been drawn to Christ in true faith. It is to true believers that Jesus says, I know you and you know me. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. If you don't if you don't have that faith in Christ, if you're outside of the flock, then, then Jesus doesn't say to you, I know you in that way and you know me. In fact, this is what he would say, at the, at, as we see in another part of the Gospels, what he would say at the last day is, uh, depart from me for I never knew you. And it doesn't mean he didn't know who you are, it just means we didn't have that union together. We didn't have that relationship. So it is to the true, it is to true believers that Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And his knowledge of us as his sheep is not just the knowledge of intellectual comprehension, right? He could say that about everybody. He knows who everybody is. But Jesus says it is a knowledge like that between the Father and the Son. It is a deep and intimate relational knowing. In fact, the Greek word that is used here is an echo of the, of the Hebrew word that refers to the, the deep marital intimacy, the, the, the intimacy of sexual union. So, when, for example, in Genesis, it says that Adam was intimate with his wife and she conceived. It's the word, it, it literally is, Adam knew his wife and she conceived. And this is, it's that kind of knowing that Jesus says exists between the shepherd and the sheep. So as the good shepherd, Jesus knows everything about you. He knows your deepest ambitions and dreams. He knows your struggles and fears. He knows your insecurities and your vulnerabilities probably better than you do yourself. He knows your hidden thoughts and desires. He knows your burdens and wounds, everything that has been plaguing you and troubling you and, 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 and tormenting you. And he, he knows every little detail of it. He knows you better than you know yourself. 
And he doesn't just know you from a distance. He, he knows you as one who has entered into your shoes and, and lived life in your skin. So he understands whatever it is that you are going through. The writer of Hebrews said, since the children have flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, he too shared in their humanity. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. And he goes on to say that, therefore, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. One of the wonders of the incarnation is that Jesus, who is in his very nature, very being God, became fully and completely and truly human. You know, it's typically not the case that the higher your status, the more, you know, or it typically is the case that the higher your status, the more out of touch you are with those who have a lower status than you do. So I, I would hazard a guess that, that Jeff Bezos, for example, for example, does not probably have a deep and intimate knowledge of those who drive the Amazon Prime trucks and probably can't relate all, all that well to their needs either. I, I could be wrong, but it's just, that's probably a fairly safe guess. The astounding thing about Jesus is that he has the most highly exalted status of any being in the universe. He is the supreme Lord of the universe, the one who's been given, as, as uh, Paul says in Philippians 2, the name that is above every name. And yet, as Paul says, though being in very nature God, he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a slave and becoming, being made in human likeness. And so it is that the one who is most highly exalted is able to know intimately those who are most lowly. The good shepherd knows the sheep. And secondly, not only does the good shepherd know the sheep, but he protectively cares for them. He's not like a hired hand who abandons the sheep at the first hint of danger. Jesus says the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. And so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The good shepherd is not like the hired hand. The hired hand only watches over the sheep for pay. But the good shepherd owns the sheep. The hired hand abandons the sheep when danger comes, but the good shepherd stays and protects them. The hired hand cares nothing for the sheep, but the good shepherd cares deeply for them because they are his. You know, the shepherds in Jesus' day, it's interesting if you do a study in, in, uh, in first century Palestine, shepherds and even really uh, before that as well, but the shepherds in Jesus' day gave everything to protect and care for the sheep. They fought off predators. They, they led them to food and water. They, they bound up their wounds. They, they, they searched them to know where they were hurting, and they would find it, and they would, they would do whatever they could to bring healing to them. They searched for them if they wandered. They comforted them by lying down with them and keeping watch over them throughout the night. The every aspect of their existence and every ounce of their lives was given to the care of the sheep. 
And this is what the Good Shepherd does for us. We live under His protective care. So when we are lonely, He's with us to comfort us. When we're weary and burdened, He's able to to carry us. When we're vulnerable and threatened, He's there to protect us. I think we see a profound example of this in Luke's gospel where Jesus was sharing a the Last Supper with His disciples. So this is right before He's going to be crucified. And He's telling them that they would eat and drink at His table with Him in His kingdom. But then Jesus said that there was a a deep danger lurking about them. And and sort of these these, uh, ominous and mysterious words. He said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. And what Jesus means is that Satan, he's saying, Peter, uh, Satan has his sights on you and all the other, and you and all the other disciples. That he, he is against you. He is the great enemy of God's people, the enemy of the church. And Satan, he says, wants to sift you as disciples. Which means that he wanted to test them and, and shake them with, with suffering and adversity and temptation. And he, and he wanted to do this with the intent to destroy their faith and bring them to spiritual ruin. That's what Satan is doing when he approaches Jesus. And it's interesting, by the way, there could be a whole sermon here, so I won't get off track, but it's not unlike Job, where we see that Satan has to ask permission. So Satan has power, but it's only a power that is granted by the Father. And so he has to ask for permission to do this. But, but his intent in doing that, what, what Satan wants, what he, his desire, what his goal and his aim is, is to destroy their faith. He wants to bring them out of the fold and into, in, into his kingdom of darkness. That's what he aims to do. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he wants to do. That's what his sights are set on doing. To destroy their faith. And bring them to spiritual ruin. And that's what he's attempting to do. That's, that's the danger that's lurking about the disciples. And notice what Jesus says. He says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This is Jesus exercising his protective care for Peter and the other disciples. And again, notice it's interesting. He doesn't say that he will keep them from the adversity and temptation. He doesn't say, I'm not going to allow Satan to do any of his work of, of tempting you or sending you suffering or adversity. He doesn't say that. In fact, he will allow it for his purposes. But he does say this. this he says that he will not allow Satan to triumph over them. He will not allow them to be brought to spiritual ruin. He will make sure Peter's faith does not fail. Because if he is interceding for you, you can be sure that what he is interceding will be accomplished. And so he will make sure Peter's faith does not fail. And when it does not fail, he will send Peter back to strengthen the others. The good shepherd protectively cares for the sheep and engages, if, if need be, into that spiritual battle and exercises his mediatory uh, force and authority and power to keep the sheep under his protective care. That brings us then to the last and greatest provision of the Good Shepherd. As the Good Shepherd, Jesus dies for the sheep. He gives his own life that the sheep may live. This is really the, the main and the emphatic point of Jesus' teaching in, this verse, in these verses. In fact, he says it no less than five 
times. Let me run through them with you. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And by the way, that, that language of laying down his life is simply saying that he dies for the sheep, but it's, it has that sort of the connotation that he does it willingly. He doesn't just die. He gives himself. He lays down his own life for the sheep. Then again in verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life. Then twice in verse 18, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And ponder just for a moment the significance of that statement but who, who the, the, the shepherd is and who we are as the sheep, the, uh, the almighty God of all glory and purity, the, the holy one, the Lord of the universe, perfect in righteousness, spotless in, in, in goodness, the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things were made, the one in whom all things hold together, the good shepherd, lays down his life, willingly gives his own life for what? For sheep. Corrupted, flawed, unattractive, dull, prone to wander, sin-stained sheep. And the question, of course, is, well, what would possibly move the almighty God of glory to become human, to take that, that giant leap across that, that seemingly impossible gulf, become human and die for them? And the answer, of course, is very simple, but the most deeply profound truth the world has ever known, the answer is love. As John said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. One foggy morning in Alabama back in the 1990s, a barge slammed into a, a bridge that spanned a, a large bayou. And in the early morning, darkness and fog, no one could really tell the extent of the damage, but the world was soon to find out because there was an Amtrak train that was going from uh, Los Angeles to Miami. And moments after that barge slammed into the bridge, that Amtrak train came to that bridge and it hadn't, didn't know anything about damage that had been done, and so it came across that bridge going 70 miles an hour. And the weakened bridge gave way, and the train plunged into the waters below. It was the worst crash in Amtrak's history. Of the 210 passengers on board, 47 of them died, and the other 163 were rescued. And it had been a pretty amazing rescue operation with, with helicopters and the Coast Guard and everything like that. Among the rescued was an 11-year-old girl named Andrea Chansey. She had cerebral palsy and she was confined to a wheelchair. She had traveled to Alabama with her parents to visit relatives while her school was on break. And when the water began to rush into their train car, her parents did what they had always done for Andrea. They, they, they put her first. They, they sacrificed for her. And so as their the water filled the car. The, her parents did all they could to, to get her in, in, in her wheelchair over to the, the window of the car and to get her out the window into the rescuer's hands. And just as they did that, the car sank down into the waters and they went to their death in the waters below. 
They gave their own lives so that she could live. And of course, we see in that selfless act that was all over in the news, in the newspapers and stuff, we see that selfless act, in that selfless act, their deep love and devotion to their daughter. But even that is, is just a pale reflection of the Good Shepherd's love for us. And the Apostle Paul put it so poignantly when he said, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Still sinners. Still corrupted and stained. Still swinging the hammer to pound the nails into his cross. Still prone to wander and rebel. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As the prophet Isaiah said, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, it's not hard to imagine Dying for your own children. But the God of all glory, dying for sheep. What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As we prepare for communion this morning, I, I want to take you, I wasn't planning on doing this, but this is part of the section I had cut out, but I think it would be fitting as we go to communion this morning. So in Ezekiel chapter 34, God rebukes the leaders of Israel for their failure to shepherd his flock. And he calls them out and saying, you're supposed to shepherd, you're supposed to be the shepherds of Israel and you're just, you're you're not. You're doing the very opposite of what you should be doing as shepherds. And so he says to them, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And the God goes on to say, because there's no shepherd to care for my flock, I myself will be that shepherd and I will search for my sheep. And he says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep who have been scattered all among the nations at this point. He says, I myself will tend my sheep and, ha and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sick and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And he goes on to say, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. And then he says this, this is where I want to focus. He says, I will place over them one shepherd one who serves in the line of my servant David. And he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. 
And we come to John chapter 10. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And he says, there will be one flock and one shepherd. And that one shepherd, the one shepherd prophesied by Ezekiel, the one shepherd about whom God said, I'm going to cause this one to, to shepherd my people with justice and perfection and beauty. There will be one flock and one shepherd. And Jesus says, that one is me. And for those who are in Christ, there's not a single need that is not met in him as our good shepherd. Not a single need. To those like Selena, feeling lost and confused, like no one really understands and knows them at all, he is the shepherd who knows. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I know everything about you. I know you more deeply and intimately than anybody else. I know you more deeply and intimately than you know yourself. To those like Herman feeling the, the deep ache of loneliness and loss and, and emptiness, he is the shepherd who cares. He says, I am the good shepherd. You won't go through life alone. I walk with you and I care for you and I protect you. And to those like Dawn feeling rejected and unloved, he is the shepherd who loves. He says, I am the good shepherd. And if you feel unloved, I want you to know that I love you so much that I died for you. In her poem, Beneath Thy Cross, the Victorian poet Christina Rossetti wrote, Am I a stone and not a sheep? That I can stand, O Christ, beneath thy cross, to number drop by drop thy blood's slow loss, and yet not weep? Not so those women loved who with exceeding grief lamented thee, not so fallen Peter weeping bitterly, not so the thief was moved. Not so the sun and moon which hid their faces in a starless sky, a horror of great darkness at broad noon, no I. Only I. Yet give not o'er, but seek thy sheep, true shepherd of the flock. Greater than Moses, turn and look once more and smite a rock. If our hearts have been hardened to the deep love of Christ at the cross, then may he smite them and turn us from stones to sheep. And may we gaze again with wonder and adoration at our Good Shepherd. Let's bow together. Lord Jesus, as we prepare for communion this morning, we come before you in a time of silence to receive you, O Lord as our good shepherd. Lord, we all are like sheep in our own ways. Some of us have come here this morning wandering and drifting. Some of us have come, O oh Lord, with deep wounds and burdens. Some of us feel misunderstood, like no one truly understands or knows what we're going through. 
Some of us come with deep questions and doubts plagued by, by burdens that we haven't told to anyone else. Some of us come with deep loneliness needing companionship and care. Some of us come feeling rejected and unloved and aching, even, even if we can't express it or articulate it, aching deeply for the kind of love that only you can give. Lord, in this time of silence, hear our own, our own sheep-like needs and burdens and wants as we come before you as our good shepherd. Well, Lord, we have come here this morning, some of us searching, wandering, straying. Some of us have come, O oh Lord, wounded and weary in deep need of healing. Some of us have come questioning doubting, struggling, carrying deep burdens within, and maybe envying those around us who seem to have their faith all together. Some of us come with deep fears, needing protection and care. Lord, we all come as sheep in our own ways. May we hear anew your words, Lord Jesus. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You are loved. You are cared for. You are protected. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. You are known and understood and loved. Oh, Lord, may you breathe that truth into us as we come forward for communion this morning. In the name of our Good Shepherd, we pray. Amen.